Hello and welcome to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by WhoScored.com in association with BetVictor. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by WhoScored, Ben, and of course, we've got Jonathan Wilson with us as always as well to look ahead to all the Premier League action that's coming up this weekend. We'll start, though, with a game that isn't this week. And actually, no, we'll start with asking you both how you are and if you had a good Christmas, because that's what you do on first podcast back. Ben, good Christmas. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Um, hectic when you've got two kids, but, you know, it was all good. Jonathan, did you have a good Christmas? Bar your oven woes. <laughs> well, thankfully, uh, I, A, wasn't cooking Christmas dinner in this flat and B, the oven wasn't broken at Christmas anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, it was very good. Thanks. How was yours? Yeah. Quiet, just moved, so I had, I had a quiet one with, with my Noah's Ark because I've got too many pets and I'm, I'm struggling looking after them at the moment. But yeah, I had a, I'd had a quiet one. It, it was good getting ready for a hectic January, which which I've had so far. So yeah, but thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for asking. People don't always ask the host a touch of class from you as a panellist. Jonathan Graham Potter. We were doing podcasts when he first came in and all was looking pretty rosy. And I remember you doing some, some good analysis on, on, on Potter actually saying if you'd have said that he was going to get the Chelsea job a year ago when Brighton weren't going that well, everyone would have laughed. And then, of course, he's flavour of the month and he ends up getting the job and everyone says, brilliant appointment, well done, Chelsea. I wouldn't even say they're stalling at the moment. They're, they're, they're going backwards and it's becoming a little bit hard to watch, I think. Yeah, it is. Um I mean, I, I think two things are probably true here. So I, I, I think if things don't turn around really quickly, I think is, although all the briefings out of the club are, oh, yeah, we've changed, we're going to give him time. I just, I think there's a there's a huge danger that you get too much negative baggage and it becomes impossible to turn around. And, and the, the, you know, the, especially now, I think that fans have started to, to chant for Abramovich. Um, if that represents... Uh, a sort of serious challenge to to this board, and if this board is sensitive to that, and there's a sense that there needs to be a you know a, a blood sacrifice to 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 expiate the sins, then then Potter is going to be the one who gets sacrificed. That's that's just the way of it. But alongside that, I'm not really sure any of this is his fault. Um, I think any manager who makes that step up from a club like Brighton, who you know, although they're you know, comfortable mid table, upper mid table club at the moment. That's because he took them to that that role, and Deserby's obviously built on that. Um, but yeah, Brighton uh, in, in people's heads, being the being the Brighton manager is not a glamorous position. Potter is not a glamorous man, um, and Chelsea have got a history of glamorous managers. And every time somebody steps up from a club like Brighton to a club like Chelsea, that question is going to be there: Can he do it at this level? Uh, so Potter's record at Ostersund, at Swansea, at Brighton, is excellent. You, know, you can't really have a better CV from the starting point he had. But that 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 doubt was always there. And that's making everything sort of focused on him. When actually, you know, this this, this problem is caused by two things. So one is uh, the huge injury list they've got at the minute, you know, 10, 11 players out, depending exactly who you count. Uh, but particularly the two fullbacks, um, who I think are absolutely essential how they play. And that, that was a problem under Tuchel that when the when Reese James was injured they weren't as good a team uh, and alongside that I think the squad is massively unbalanced I think that's a legacy of the Abramovich era um, I think even before sanctions there was an, an issue without the need of resolving uh, the sanctions made it worse and I'm not sure that recruitment in the summer has, has, has helped at all It sounds bizarre to say Ben but they spent so much money in, in the summer to basically get worse. I think I didn't watch that game because I was watching Villa get dismantled by Stevenage, but apparently the fans were singing for Thomas Tuchel as as well. All, all is not well, but do, do you think Potter has the... When everyone's fit, 
would you say Potter has the players to maintain a, a top four push? He, of course he does. I mean, there's a very good core quality uh, set of players in that team. Um, if he wants to go back to the three-man defence where everyone's fit, he has the players there to play that system. The issue is that he's come in after the transfer window is closed and the board have basically gone out, signed players that perhaps Tickle requested or at least for Tickle system and then sacked him eight days into September. So he's working with a squad that he didn't have any say over. Um, I know with any manager, you you don't really complain with the players that you've got. There is the there is a quality there for them to maintain a top four push. But he's got a squad there that he hasn't put together. The board's put together for Tuchel, and it's obviously have backfiring on both the uh, team and the manager itself. Yeah, Todd Bowley's like a kid in a candy shop at the moment. Every time any team, Arsenal, Manchester United, are linked with a player, Chelsea seem to sign them, Jonathan and. You know, Jao Felix is, is coming in from, from nowhere. It looked like he was going to go to Arsenal or Manchester United. He's going to Chelsea now. Do you think he improves them or do you think he adds to the chaos? Well, I think I think it's possible to do both. Um, I mean, they don't have a centre-forward at the minute and that's a massive problem. Um, Aubameyang is, you know, is, is, is past it. Um, so, a centre-forward is better than no centre-forward. Is he a centre-forward though? Is he like the centre-forward? Well, no, he's not going to get on the end of I, things, I, is he, Jao Felix? I see what you say though. And that's yeah, that, that, well, that's precisely the problem that he's somebody who who likes to to drop off, take the ball to feet, and turn, which they've got loads of. I think he's better than what they've got doing that. Um, you know, I think he's better than Pulisic. I think he's better than Sterling. Um, I think he's better than Ziyech. He's better than I mean Havertz. If if you had the Havertz, you know, when he joined, the, then Havertz is is a really good player. But for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought his performance on Sunday was was appalling. But I, I think it is an issue that that the only players they've really got, I mean, Sterling can do it to an extent, but the only players they've really got who can run behind the opposing defence are Reese James and Ben Chilwell. And that was problematic even when they were fit. So the, the stats when the two of them are missing are, 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 are terrible. So the two of them play together this season, only, I think five times they've played together this season. So it's a, it's a small sample size. When they play together, Chelsea win 80% of the games. When they don't, when you know, they don't play, um, you know, when either of them are missing, they win twenty nine percent of games. So that's a massive drop off. I think when Chilwell mm. plays, irrespective of James, it's it's seventy five to. Uh, hang on, I've written it down here. Uh, seventy five to twenty nine, and when James plays without Chilwell, it's sixty four to twenty nine. So that 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 shows how essential to, to their system that type of player is. And, and so, look, yeah, the centre forward is clearly a problem area. Yeah, yeah, you get a, a really gifted player on loan. I, I can see why you would do it. And I, as I say, I think he is better than what they've got. Um, but actually, the problem is it's it's partly lack of cover in the fullback areas. That Aspilicueta at 33. I mean, he was never that attacking a fullback, but he, he just can't get him down at 33. And Kukurea has been a disaster. You know, he, yeah, he, he really he just, has. He's obviously not as bad a player as he's looked this season, but it hasn't worked out at all. Um, but they've also got a massive problem at the back of midfield where. Jorginho has never been quick, but looks even older and slower now. Kante's never fit anymore. And really, all these problems began... You know, Chelsea's best performance this season was the 2-2 draw against Tottenham. Yeah, really. And that was the last game Kante played. Well, that's that's not coincidence. They missed, they missed Kante, but at the same time, he's 31, he's started to get these injuries. And a, 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 you know, a properly laid out plan. And, and obviously, the whole change of ownership makes that harder. But the, 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 the Kante hole is huge. Kovacic... He's okay, he's in and out, but he's one of those players who I think you know, he sort of lubricates, makes 
makes uh, makes a team better with good players around them. Well, they haven't got that. Um, so they've they've got enormous problems at the, at the back of midfield. Loftus Cheek, who stepped in, did okay. He's injured now. Yeah. Um, so it's it's and and you know all your all your fears or my fears about Bowley are yeah he's coming he's got loads of money he talks a good game does he actually understand football you know is he just you know enthralled to the glamour of it which you know all that talk about oh, I want to sign Ronaldo which he appears to have done twice now. Uh, gone to managers and suggested that it is part of the problem that he hasn't realised that full back and the back of midfield, probably the two least glamorous positions on the pitch, are actually where Chelsea needed investment, not not the other areas. Yeah, Kovacic has got a bit of a durability problem as well. He, he's in and out because of fitness, like, like you say. Now we've spent too long, well, we spent longer than we're supposed to on this chat, but we're going to continue anyway. Because I think it's interesting to discuss Chelsea and where they're going wrong. Jonathan Ben's got, got some player ratings under Tuchel and Potter, just as a, a wild guess. Do you think any players have improved under Potter compared to Tuchel using the Who Scored algorithm? I can think of maybe one. Kepper, maybe. That was the one I was going to go with. Ben, put us out of misery. Tell us what the difference is. Yeah, Kepper is the one with the biggest improvement in rating difference, but that's. Kind of by default, he made one appearance under Tuchel and then has been first choice since coming in. But his rating has improved by 0.86, which is the biggest. Um, Of Chelsea's top 10 best-rated players in the Premier League and Champions League this season, six have actually improved uh, once Potter took over. you got Kepa, which is fairly obvious. Mason Mount was another big one to improve. Ben Chilwell saw his rating improve, as did Jorginho, Kukurea and Koulibaly, whereas... Reese James, Thiago Silva, Havertz and Sterling all saw their ratings drop off once Potter took charge. Interesting stuff. Quick word on Fulham, Jonathan, and the good news for them is their transfer business has been exceptional. We spoke about João Paulini on his podcast many times and he's a player I absolutely love. But they also did well because they actually managed to sign the Will I Am was at Chelsea rather than Arsenal. <laughs> and he's been good for them as well, hasn't he? Up against his old team, of course, tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, you're absolutely right. The, and, and, and I was at that game just before the World Cup when they were pretty unlucky to lose Manchester United. And, and Williams' link up with Anthony Robinson at, at, at yeah, the left back, uh, you know, that was causing United all kinds of problems down that side. So, so yeah, he's, he's I, it was one of those signings that you sort of thought, really? I, I, I'm not sure about that. I, I, I sort of thought William had probably his best days were behind him, but he's having a new lease of life. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been really, really good. I guess Fulham's problem for this game is Mitrovic being suspended. Uh, so, mm. I, you know, given I was in the mindset of looking at uh, the stats of, um, teams when a player plays against when when they don't when Mitrovic plays Fulham win fifty three percent of games when he doesn't they only win twenty percent. Uh, yeah, not good for Fulham. That Williams a struggle a player I struggle to say because remember the black eyed peas. I always want to say Will I am like Will I am all the time. I, I get it wrong and that's what I end up saying. I also thought it was Thursday when I just introed that section because we usually record on a Thursday and of course it's Wednesday. Let's look then at the four. I know we've got to do predictions. I am all over the place. You can tell that we've not done an Edge of the Box podcast for a few weeks. Let's have some predictions for this one then. And Jonathan, you have the honour of as being the best predictor, so you're going to go first. I sort of feel that Fulham should win this, but at the same time, no Mitrovic. I'm going to go. I'm going to go one-one. My bottle out prediction. One, I'm going to copy you and join you with that bottle out prediction. Ben, what have who scored gone for? Uh, what have you scored gone for? That's a good question. I would agree with Jonathan in that if Mitrovic was playing, you look at a different thing, different game altogether. But yeah. even without him, we've gone for Fulham to win two 0 So two 0 big, big call. Um, obviously, you look at Potter's 
Chelsea in their recent form has been abysmal and Fulham have actually been the better of the two teams in West London. Um, they haven't beaten them since 2006, but we're back in to end that run this week. Unthinkable at the start of the season that Fulham would be, one, doing so well and two, be so far ahead of Chelsea and why better to watch as well, Fulham. Well done, Fulham, a club I have a lot of time for, except for when they're beating Villa in playoff finals. Let's look at the form guide then. Ben, what have we got on the form guide agenda? Yep, so the form guide is the ratings are weighted chronologically, so the most recent is carrying greater significance. Uh, players must have played two of the last three and six of the last available matches to come to contention. Uh, interestingly enough, six of the ten players are going to be playing in the Manchester or North London derby this weekend. So in tenth with Bruno Fernandes, Eve Antonio in ninth, then it's Rodri, Joe Ellington, De Bruyne. Sonny March is there in fifth, Casemiro in fourth, and the top three are Kane, Odegaard and Trippier. Trippier, I feel like Trippier's in the form guide. Been, has he just been in the form, the form guide all season? He's just he's never moving, is he, Kieran Trippier? He's having an unbelievable season for Newcastle United. Jonathan, anyone you think should be in there or anyone you disagree with in, in that selection? I, I'm slightly surprised Kane's as high as he is, but I guess he has he has scored goals recently and maybe without Kane, Tottenham's form would be even worse. I guess, Martinella? I, th- I think he's he's not quite in the hot streak he was in the season that it felt like the way their season's gone... But Martinelli was a standout in the first part, and now it's Odegaard. Um, so, no, it sounds fair enough. Plenty to look forward to coming up in the podcast. We've got the Manchester derby and the North London derby that we will preview. But before we do that, we're going to speak about those games with Bet Victor Sam Boswell. Feast of football this weekend. A couple of really big games, Sam, and Bet Victor have got their new and improved Bet Builder tool. Yeah, launched during the World Cup. This new tool, I think, really genuinely puts us up there as one of the market leaders in bet builders. We know how popular they are with customers. And for big weekends of football, uh, they're certainly something punters love to get their teeth stuck into. So I'd encourage anyone to go and have a look at the website, check it out. Um, And we've got a couple of uh, various boosts that we're going to talk about, I think, in a minute around both the big games this weekend. Um, should we kick off by touching on the North London, uh, not the North London derby, I should say the Manchester derby, which comes first on Saturday. Really exciting game. Really interesting to see how this Manchester United side continue to evolve and develop under Ten Hag. They're 100 to 30 to get the win in 90 minutes, 11 to 4 the draw. City 3 to 4 to get the win away at Old Trafford. We've seen some epic contests in the past. And uh, I'll take you through, I guess, the bet builder that we're going to boost for the game that you guys have helped us create. So we'll kick off with Haaland to have two or more shots on target. It's easy to see why we think that should be in there. I'm sure the stats will back that up in a moment when we have a chat. Uh, We've got Casemiro, three or more tackles. He's been imperative, hasn't he, in Manchester United's return to form and uh, a quality signing for them. And I can imagine he'll be stuck in in that central midfield for most of the 90 minutes. Uh, Next up is Rodri to hit 90 or more passes. Uh, Another key player for Man City. And I think he's sometimes a little bit undervalued in that City side because he certainly helps to to pick up the pieces and make them tick when coming out from the back. And the final leg is a really interesting one that you guys have added in, which is Marcus Rashford to score any time. I don't think there's a man that's returned to form in any better style, really. Marcus Rashford banging goals in for fun, left, right and centre. Now, this bet was... 12 to 1. We've boosted it to 14. I'm looking forward to hearing the science behind it. Go on then, Ben. I mean, I will say Rashford as well, taking away his current form. He's got an excellent Manchester derby record. Yeah, I mean, last night he obviously scored against Charlton, uh, came off the bench and scored twice. They became the first Manchester United player to score in eight home games in a row since Wayne Rooney in March 2010. So there's, you know, history on his side and he obviously is in great form since coming back from the World Cup. 
Uh, Haaland with the two plus shots on target, he's averaging 2.1 shots on target per game. And obviously scored a hat-trick in the uh, in the return fixture. Casemiro is averaging 3.2 tackles per game. So there's a reason there for him to have as many tackles as we have predicted. And finally, Rodri is actually averaging the most passes per game in Europe's top five leagues with 93. So decent value there and the stats back it up. Sam, we've also got the North London derby. Talk us through the bet builder for that one. Spurs 11-5 play host to Arsenal, who are 23-20. to This is a game Arsenal just have to win if they are to be considered title contenders in my book. Can't be having the excuses of North London Derby. You've got to win these games away from home if you want to be up there. Uh, the bet builder for this one's really interesting. I, I think I prefer this one, actually. Kane any time to score, which I'm pretty sure he's got a great record in the North London Derby. Uh, yeah, Eddie and Eddie Nketiah, if I can speak properly, <laughs> Eddie Nketiah, there we go, uh, to score any time added in there as well. I think he's been fantastic really since he's come in for Gabriel Jesus and great to see him having a good season. Uh, we've then got Hoiberg for two or more tackles. And then finally, it's Gabriel to have a shot. Now that's been boosted from 14 to 1 to 16 to 1. I've got to say, Gabriel does normally have a shot. He's in my fantasy football team and I always feel like he goes close every game. Rarely scores and I get upset, but he does tend to have a shot in most games. Ben, talk us through the science. Yeah, you're right. He does tend to have a shot. He averages one shot a game, so you're looking good there for that one shot from Gabriel in that one. Uh, Hoiberg to have two plus tackles. He only averages 1.5 tackles per game, but in the three Premier League games since returning from the World Cup, he's actually made eight tackles. So, you know, he's come back with a vengeance, essentially. Uh, Harry Kane, his record in North London Derby speaks for itself. And Eddie Nketiah has scored seven in 11 starts. So, you know, good value in that one. Sam, thanks ever so much for joining us today and, and have a great weekend. Yeah, I hope everyone enjoys the action as ever. We'd encourage you to gamble responsibly. Uh, looking forward to watching some fantastic Premier League clashes. Let's look at the Manchester derby then, Jonathan. And Casemiro has been an unbelievable signing for Manchester United. I don't think, well, I, I certainly, speaking for myself, didn't realise what a good footballer he was. I think I just saw myself, saw him, sorry, as like that, that defensive midfielder that just, just wins the ball back and gives it to someone better. But at Manchester United, he's shown more to his game, hasn't he? Yeah, he really has. And he did at the World Cup as well. Um, he scored that really nice goal at the World Cup. Oh. Um, he's involved in the build-up for for um, was it a second or a third goal against South Korea. Um, that yeah, I, I'm, I'm in a similar position. I, I, I guess because if you play with Modric and Kroos, um, yeah, yeah, your, your job is to win the ball and give it to them because they are so good. But yeah, I hadn't realised what a good all-round footballer he was. Um, so yeah, he's he. he I, his form, both both for United and for Brazil, has been exceptional this season. Yeah, nice balance to Manchester United's midfield. Now, it's been a problem. Obviously, McTominay and Fred have played an awful lot of football for Manchester United over the last few years. But the way they've got Casemiro, uh, Eriksen and Fernandes operating, they just look such a better side than they did 12 months ago. And Ben's put a question in for you here, Jonathan. Apparently, you've got an MLS franchise here. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's good to know. Um, they cost about a billion pounds, don't they? So, yeah, um, Wilson's, yeah, um, Wilson's Wizards. Might be, some, a, might, might be some tax issues I haven't declared there, but anyway, carry yeah. on. So you've got an MLS team, Wilson's Wizards. You're allowed one of Casemiro or Rodri. I think I know what your answer is going to be because I think you're going to base it possibly on age. But who would you have in your franchise? Well, it depends who else I've got in my franchise, but Rodri is 26 and Casemiro is... young? I would have had him at 28 at least. Should, should I look it up? Have a guess as well, Ben. How old do you think he is? I think he's 27. He is 26. I did check whilst uh, oh. Oh, okay. well, I'm in an RSB. Yeah, 26. Oh, that's very quick. Very quick. Um, well, well done to you. 
Casemiro's what thirty one still or thirty two maybe now. He's thirty uh, still and turns thirty one, I think, in February. Okay. He's slightly younger than I thought, but still, you know, you get four more years out of Rodri. Right at the minute, if I was you know, if I was if I had the chance to sign to me on loan till the end of the season to patch a hole in the middle of my midfield and all else was equal, I probably would take Casemiro. But you know, they the and I still sort of there's a bit of me still thinks that a good Calvin Phillips might be better than Rodri, and I'd like to see Calvin Phillips get more of a go at City. No, um, I disagree with you, but I think that's a wild shout. I think his range of passing is is better. Yeah, I'm not saying it's it's clear cut. I think it is possible. I, I'd, I'd really like to see a fully fit Calvin Phillips given a proper run of games at City and see just how good he can be. Yeah, Pep would like to see a fully fit Calvin Phillips after his <laughs> comments he made about him yeah. when he came back from the World Cup. Then what do the stats say about Rodri and Casemiro? Uh, so you got... Oh, it's his drill upstairs, sorry. Uh, in the tackles, obviously Casemiro smashes that one 4.1 per 90 to Rodri's 2.4. But when it comes to passing, no surprise to see Rodri blow Casemiro out of the park. 96.3 passes per 90 to Casemiro, 64.1. And a pass success rate of 90.8% to Casemiro's 80.5. Uh, worth noting as well, of course, Rodri did miss the reverse fixture, which is the only Premier League game he has missed, but they didn't really miss him. Whereas Casemiro, that was the last game he started uh, on the bench in a Premier League game for Manchester United. So since then, he's been never present in the midfield. So that should be a very interesting battle in the midfield uh, at Old Trafford on Saturday. Yeah, I think Gundogan played as the deepest midfielder in that game, if my memory serves me correctly. But Manchester City really didn't need Rodri that day because Manchester United were, were terrible and Manchester City were excellent. I do see it being a lot closer this time around because Manchester United have got one of the form players in the Premier League, Jonathan. That's Marcus Rashford. What has Eric Ten Hag done to allow him to flourish? He's got rid of Ronaldo. I mean, I think it's as simple as that. But uh, Rashford was, was playing really well. Then Ronaldo arrives. And whether it's a tactical thing, whether it's a psychological thing, yeah, his form dropped off. Uh, maybe a bit of reaction to the Euros as well. But now Ronaldo's gone, there's space in the team again. There's, there's, there's um, a centre forward who gets out of the way for him to cut in from the flanks. Yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased that he's not another one of these re, you know, promising young players who just sort of drifts away, that he has recovered his form and, and looks incredibly dangerous because he's, he's, he's got such quick feet with quite a sort of big physical build. I think that's quite a rare combination of, of talents to have. The worry for him would be if Manchester United didn't sign a striker, and if he had to spend time as the central striker, because I think I think personally he's so much better on the left, but it does look like Manchester United are signing Val Weghorst on loan for the rest of the season. Ben, would you play Rashford up top or do you prefer him on the left as well, like me? I prefer him on the left. I can see why United are going for Weghorst. They do need another striker up there um, just to ease the burden of Martial, who's been inconsistent and he has his injury issues. I think Weghorst will offer another route to go. He obviously wasn't great for Burnley, but he proved at the World Cup how you know big a threat he can be for Netherlands. Um, I'd keep keep him on the left. I mean, if it ain't if it ain't broke, why fix it? Jonathan, you're a a European football expert about their course. Will he fit in well at Manchester United? It's a slightly surprising signing. Um, I, I mean, we clearly didn't see the best of him at Burnley. Um, I thought the little glimmers of him he saw at the World Cup, uh, some, some pretty impressive stuff. Uh, I think it's interesting that Ten Hag is, is looking for that slightly different option, uh, you know, a, a, a bigger option to play there. Um, 
So yeah, it, look, it's it's not one of those that 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 screams out as a signing that um, uh, you know was obviously needed or was obviously going to happen. But I think it is interesting. I, I sort of am quite quite keen to see how it how it works out because it is so counterintuitive. He's a good presser, actually, for a lad of his size. You just think he's going to be this target man lump up front. But actually, he's a really, really good presser about Beckhorst, which will suit Ten Hag. Quick question for you, Jonathan. Will he be more effective than Cristiano Ronaldo for Manchester United? Yes. <laughs> I thought you might I thought you might say that. We're going to look at Manchester City now. I like this comparison, Rico Lewis to Philip Lahm there. But I'm not sure about little Philip Lahm. Is Philip, Philip Lahm not, not, not tall? Surely they're the same size. Yeah, I mean, that's what Pep uh, kind of compared him to as little Philip Lahm. It's, uh, he's obviously very talented and he's got a lot of potential and, you know, it's a big risk sort of playing him against Liverpool. He took Cancelo off for him uh, against Chelsea and City did look sort of more solid and more effective going forward when he did. It's just, it's one of those where he's obviously been, you know, he's come through that City youth team, which is, you know, incredible that academy is. And um mm. It, it, it's not necessarily come out of, hasn't come out of anywhere, hasn't come out of nowhere, but to, you know, it seems as though Pep may trust him more than he does Carl Walker, but whether he does for the North, for the Manchester Derby, sorry, remains to be seen. Walker did play centre-back uh, against Chelsea in the FA Cup in that three-man defence. So ultimately it depends on whether Guardiola goes for the four-man or three-man defence, but the emergence has been, you know, a breath of fresh air. He Walker's had his injury issues. He's the wrong side of 30 now. So to have Lewis come in there and do as solid a job as he has done given his age is, you know, very welcome for City. I think I think he'll start. He seems, seems to have really taken a shine to him. Pep Guardiola with, with little Philip Lahm, Rico Lewis. Jonathan, I could see you typing. Were you looking at the heights? I'm hoping that you were. I was. And Philip Lamb is one centimetre taller than little Rico Lewis. I don't know. I've not watched Manchester City's under-21s under or Manchester City's u so I don't know where the full-backs at Manchester City are brought up to play this inverted role. Mm-hmm. The way Rico Lewis plays it, it's very obvious on the eye what, what he's doing. It's not subtle. You can see that he's spending a lot of time inside. Yeah, and it's obviously something Guardiola likes. I think it's it's something he's doing that's a bit different to everybody else with the fullbacks. It's it's partly because of his his terror of getting um, yeah in in a Guardiola system. The obvious weakness is the space behind the the, the defensive line, and, and so to get the structures right to 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 guard against the ball being lost in that circumstance is that much harder. So if you have a fullback, you can just slot in there. That that sort of it's a, it's a shortcut to doing that. You don't have to play. I mean, Pep used to talk about playing fifteen passes to get the structure right. If you can have Cancelo and, and Lewis tucking in um, and making that sort of uh, trapezium shape, uh, which which I think is how Guardiola likes to have them set up when when they have possession, but they're looking to protect themselves against the counter. Then that's obviously hugely beneficial. I guess if he has been taught that from a very early age, maybe it comes a second nature to him, and it's less complicated than it would be for an older player to learn that. Mm. Um, whether you that means you pick him in a back four ahead of Kyle Walker for the Manchester derby, I, I don't know. I, 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 I mean, maybe he will. I mean, Guardiola is not afraid to pick young players, but Walker is is such a stalwart. I, I think it would be a, 
I mean, maybe you will, but it would be a big call to, to, to do that. Yeah, Cancelo's been out the team recently as well, hasn't he? Ake's kind of playing these, this hybrid fullback, centre-back role with Lewis playing the other side. That, to me, at the moment, seems to be the first choice, that Lewis will be on the right and Ake on the left. And Lewis does this inverted fullback, whereas Ake is more of a central defender playing left-back and he also tucks him, but in a different kind of way because he's not doing as much going forward. Pep Guardiola, as well, in the interview, has said he's got a mad plan in his head for this game. So it'll be interesting to see what he comes up with. Combined 11 time then, Jonathan, I'll come to you first. How many Manchester United players make it to your combined 11? Because I know when you pick a Man City combined 11, it's always heavily filled with Manchester City. Yeah, it's 11 Man- Manchester City players. Um, Not one Manchester United player, even though yeah, they're because, well. because the combined 11 doesn't really work with Manchester City because their system is so uh, unique. Wilson's, any... Wizards can't, Wilson's Wizards can't play that way, so you, you just put, you, you've, got, you've got to have a Manchester United player in there, shoulder. No one even well, close. I mean, there's a, a, a few you'd, you'd have close. I mean, on the left, given that Foden's sort of slightly fallen out of favour, could you have Rashford? Maybe, well, maybe you could. But no, I, I, I think when you talk about City, you have to pick 11 City players because their system works so well. I've got a feeling Rashford might be in there, Ben. I've also got a sneaky feeling Luke Shaw may be in as well. What is the who scored combined 11 using that famed algorithm? Well, neither of those main night players make it. Perfect. Good, um, good observation from that. <laughs> Uh, we've also followed the Jonathan Wilson rule where we're going by only available players. Oh, yeah, that's not my rule. That's the rule we always used to have. <laughs> we we uh, changed it. Now what we, was, now what we... was the old bloke called? Uh, Martin? It was his Martin. <laughs> yeah, we then changed it and now we've gone back to the unavailable players. So De Gea in goal. Uh, I know Dalot came off last night against Charlton, but Ten Hag said that's more of a precaution. So we're going to stick with him in there. Uh, Stones, Martinez and Cancelo makes up the defence. There's a midfield three of De Bruyne, Rodri and Fernandes. And up front, you've got Foden, Haaland and Grealish. Grealish is in. I mean, I love Jack Grealish, but I'm surprised to see him in. He has got a few assists recently, hasn't he? He's boosting mm. his numbers, his who scored numbers with the, with, with the assists. So how many Manchester City players was that compared to Manchester United? 17 United's four. Okay, it wasn't as close as, as I thought it was then. Jonathan, thoughts on that team? I went for Walker, but it, it could be Lewis. Uh, Stones definitely. I think Stones has been really Stones good. Stones is quality. Uh, I know with, with a Kanji as a left-sided centre back, but it could it could have been about six players, and then Cancelo, even though he hasn't been playing that well or hasn't been playing that regularly recently, rather than Ake, but it, it could easily be Ake. So, yeah, my, my my big decision wasn't whether to include any United players. It was which City players to include at the back, and I think actually out wide it's become really complicated as well because Foden and Bernardo Silva seem to have. Yeah, when when Guardiola picked them last Thursday against Chelsea, he almost seemed to be picking them in a passive aggressive way, saying, Well, this is what people want, rather than Mares and uh, and Grealish. But mm. uh, obviously it was when Mares and Grealish came on uh, midway through the second half that they they got the winner. So that's that, that I guess is a sign of City's strength and, and, and why I still think they'll they'll pip Arsenal to the title, because their squad is so absurdly deep. Do you think they'll pip Manchester United in this game, Jonathan? What is your prediction making you go first again? 2-1 to City. 2-1 to City. Ben? Sat on the fence, 2 I'm going to go 3-1 to Manchester City. Why not? Let's do that. Of course, we've got the bet builder as well, as we discussed with Sam from Bet Victor early on. So if you fancy a bit of bet building, do take that on for the Manchester derby. Got the North London derby to look at now as well. Jonathan? Arsenal squad depth is a topic that's coming up all the time at the moment. Obviously, it's now more in vogue because Jesus is injured for him. We don't really know when he's coming back. 
unprecedented that they are where they are. I don't think anyone would have predicted, even the most staunch Arsenal fan would have predicted that they would be where they are at this stage of the season. Is it going to cost... You've just said Manchester City squad depth will take them to the title. So is it squad depth something you think is going to cost Arsenal? They could get an injury in a position where they're, they're well covered. So, uh, yeah, if Zinchenko gets injured, then they, they can play Kieran Tierney. If um, uh, Ben White gets injured, they, they can play Tommy Assey. That they, they, they do have options in certain areas. But I think middle of midfield and that forward line, you know, it, it, it wouldn't take much to, to leave him with with pretty slim pickings. And Ketty has done pretty well since he came in, but he's clearly not as effective as Jesus. Uh, not necessarily in the way he finishes, but in his in his pressing, I think Jesus is is, is better. Um, so I can see why they 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 were looking at Jao Felix. I can see why they're looking at um, Rudrick. Um, even though I mean he's not really a centre forward, but he's another attacking player that, that you can work in there. So I, I I guess their their decision now is they're in this amazing position. Uh they're five points to the top of the table with you know, nearly at the halfway point of the season. Uh you know this this weekend is the halfway point for a lot of clubs. Um do they invest now to try and bolster the second half of the season thinking they might never, even you know, even if all goes well, they might never be in a position this good again. I mean, to to win all but three games after this much of a season is incredible, no matter how good you are. Um, and and so yeah, the, the the question is, do you bring in more players now to try and bolster that? And there are two two arguments against that. One being financial, and the other being if you bring good players, if you bring players, no matter how good, into a system that's working effectively. Is the risk of disrupting the system? Um, people would talk about Espria doing that at Newcastle in in yeah. in, in the mid nineties. <clears throat> I'm not I'm not sure that actually that's quite as apt as when Manchester City signed Rodney Marsh in seventy two, I think, where it really was his signing disrupted things. Even though he scored goals, Espria, I think, it, I think yeah, you know, I think the Espria signing you can look at it in two two different ways. The Rodney Marsh signing, I think, that clearly did did shake City up. Um, so it's it's a it's a it's a hard decision to make. I mean, the problem is if they don't sign anybody, and suddenly, you know, Martinelli pulls a hamstring in February and Saka twists his knee, and they're both out for a couple of months. You look stupid for not having signed anybody. If you spend sixty million on a player and then don't play him, or he ends up disrupting the team, you also look stupid. So these are it's a, it's a very very big decision, whichever way they go. Been missing Smith Rowe all season, so the bench has looked a little bit short. They haven't had that attacking option to, to really bring off the bench to change games, like that Newcastle game. If, if it's not going well, I've been pushing the agenda on all the stuff that I do that they could sign Mudrick, and then in certain games he might play on the left hand side, and Martinelli might play up top because I feel he could press in the same way in the same way Jesus does, and Jesus is pressing is a big miss, like like you say. So I think also they might look back to the fact that they didn't act in January last season and they dropped out the top four. So I think they probably will make one signing, but I understand what you're saying. You do risk disrupting things, having to move players around or making someone unhappy. And Ketia, if they sign someone and he drops out, he'd probably be sat there thinking, well, what am I here for then? Jesus is injured and I'm still not playing. So it'd be interesting to see what they do, but I do get the feeling because of last season that they may bring one player in in January. Ben, Arteta's touchline behaviour is coming up as a hot topic. I don't think he's doing anything differently to what he's what he's ever done. It's just that people are noticing it more now because Arsenal are good. Yeah, I think it's just people making a mountain out a mountain out of a molehill. Um, he's done this before. He always he's, he's kind of always been quite animated on the touchline. Um, 
And just because it was against Newcastle, uh, managers are obviously was frustrated against Newcastle because they do waste plenty of time. Um, I mean, look at Klopp, uh, when Liverpool beat them in the last minute, you could tell he was getting aggrieved by how little uh, the ball was in play. Arteta was the same. Um, the difference is that it cost Arsenal three points. Uh, Liverpool end up scoring that late winner. Um, I, it's you know, it, this is nothing to be afraid of. Uh, nothing to really shout home about. It's just a mountain being made out of a molehill. Um, you get some who think, oh, maybe he's feeling the pressure in the title race, but you know, it's this is just Arteta. This is what he does. Um, so I think it's nothing really to look into. Ben, Spurs fan, obviously really delighted by the way Arsenal have, uh, have gone so far this season. Is this a game that greatly concerns you? It always is. Um, I mean, the home team has always been the better of the two teams. Whoever's playing at home has is unbeaten in home North London derbies in the Premier League since 2014 when Arsenal secured a wonder win at White Hart Lane. That was when Rosicky scored after two minutes. Um it's always a game that, you know, Tottenham fans will look to first on the fixture list. But when it comes to it, it's always a nervy one. Um, there's no no denying that whatsoever. Even with the 3-0 win last season, um, you know, Arsenal reduced the 10 men when Rob Holding got sent off and made it 3-0 quite early in the second half. There's still the fear that Tottenham are going to go full Tottenham and completely capitulate. Um, with Arsenal doing as well as they have been, it's hard not to be fearful of this game, um, more so than usual. But, you know, it's a North London derby, anything can happen. Yeah, I think, Jonathan, we, in the summer, we were both praising, not both, we were all probably praising Arsenal's transfer business, Tottenham's transfer business, saying they won the window. Either of these teams you probably could have picked. But looking at it now, it feels like Spurs are, are quite short as well. Maybe don't have the players that, that Conte needs and Conte wants. I had a question for you about Conte. Because he was moans about what he hasn't got. But when he was at Chelsea and it wasn't going well, he switched systems and went to three at the back and obviously they went on to win the league that season. I'm not convinced that three in the back actually suits Spurs' personnel at the, at the moment. I, I don't think it's working personally. Is there an argument that Conte actually needs to change something himself rather than just looking at what he hasn't got and trying to make the best of what he has got? Uh, possibly, but I mean, um, I, I think in terms of why those, those sort of predictions that Spurs were going to do well haven't worked out, there's there's a couple of things that happened. So, so one is Kulisevsky has been injured for a long period and he he's the sort of critical player for linking the, the forward line to the midfield. Uh, the second thing is that Son's form has, has disappeared, which I don't think anybody predicted. Uh, you sort of would say, oh, you know, they need Kane and Son to be playing well. But you sort of worried about a, a slight drop-off. But Son has gone from being the golden boot winner to you know, barely scoring at all, looking... Uh, yeah, I, I I can't remember such a sudden change of form without an obvious external uh, you know event or an injury or something to to cause it. Um, and I think the the, the wing backs haven't haven't worked out. And obviously, if you're playing a back three and your wing backs aren't really working for you, that's that's a massive problem. So they've got huge problems in wide areas. And yeah, the Conte system is about attacking in in those wide areas. So. Everything's getting gummed up by that issue of the wing backs and the wide forwards, either being injured or being out of form, or not quite being good enough. So, I, I, yes, you can make the point that Conte maybe should change to a back four, but I, I think were he to do that, I, I get, I'm trying to put put myself in his head. I think he would say, "Look, 
I've always been at my best with the back three. That's what I want to play. That's what we're driving towards. To go to a back four would be a sort of short-term patch-it-up job to get through the next few weeks. And I can see why, particularly during a transfer window, when he maybe can pressure the board and the signing players he, he feels he needs, I can see why why he wouldn't do that. Yeah, and Ben, we all know that Spurs need to go 1-0 down or 2-0 down to enter a game and start playing. But Arsenal are obviously a team that are really, really quick out the blocks this season. I believe you have some stats around that for us. Yeah, uh, you know, if Tottenham do start slowly as they have done already this season, it could really come back to bite them. Um, their who scored rating in the first half of games actually ranks 15th in the Premier League this season, 6.33. That's level with Wolves and slightly above Southampton. Whereas in the second half of games, Tottenham's who scored rating 6.42 is actually the best in the Premier League. So proof there, if any, if if ever any was needed, that Tottenham have started slowly but do sort of amp it up again in the second half of games. But as you mentioned, Arsenal start quickly. If that happens again on Sunday, um, Arsenal have the personnel to kind of go two, three up in the first half. And by then it's too late for Spurs to come back. So Spurs start slowly. Um, it could be a bit of a mauling. Yeah, combined 11 time again. Looking forward to this one. Jonathan, talk us through the 11 that you have picked from the North London personnel. I, this is a much more... Uh, mixed up job in that I've gone for 10 Arsenal players and Harry Kane. <laughs> 10 Arsenal and Harry Kane? P- possibly fair at the moment. If Jesus was fit, would you have put Jesus in over Kane or would you have still gone for Harry Kane? Probably still have gone for Harry Kane. Um, okay. it, it depends. Like, yeah, if, if, the way Kane's playing, was Kane second or third in the form chart? Yeah, he's playing well at the minute. Third, I think. Uh, yeah. Lovely goal against Portsmouth. Um, got the two goals against Palace. He is playing well at the minute, and I think he would work in that system. Yeah, you can imagine him dropping deep and spraying balls for Martinelli and Saka to, to run beyond him. Yeah, I feel like if we'd have done this this time last year, you'd possibly have more Spurs players. But at the moment, other than Kane, I don't think you could put any Spurs player in ahead of Arsenal, Ben, but I'm sure who scored have. Yeah, we've kind of followed, to a lesser extent, uh, it's very Arsenal heavy. It's eight Arsenal players to three Tottenham players. And go, we've got Aaron Ramsdale, Ben White at right back. Controversially, Eric Dyer ahead of William Saliba at centre-back alongside Gabriel. Left-back Zinchenko. Midfield three of Bentoncourt, Partey and Erdegaard. I know Bentoncourt is a doubt, so, but we've, you know, we'll put him in anyway. Uh, and up front, you've got Saka, Kane and Martinelli. I still think, I think Johnson is, is better. As a Spurs fan, Ben, if you had to pick your own combined eleven, how many Spurs players would get in that team at the moment? Probably two. I'd take out Dyer for Saliba and that would be the change in mind. I'd have Bentancourt in there. Um, I think he's been Spurs' best player this season. Even with Kane being as good as he is in front of goal, um, Bentancourt has just kind of elevated that midfield when he needs to, particularly in the second half of games. He's that driving force from deeper when we when, when he hasn't played. Spurs' midfield has looked significantly worse. Um, so yeah, I would probably, if that combined 11, I would personally switch Dyer for Saliba and that'll be the only change. Okay, and let's do our match predictions. I will go first for this one. I'm going to go 1-0 to the Arsenal. Ben? 1-0. Sitting on the fence. Jonathan? 2-1 to Arsenal. 2-1 to the Arsenal. Okay, then we will finish with the just a minute section and we're going to avoid Chelsea v Palace and Newcastle v Fulham at the moment due to the Thursday fixture. We're recording this on a Wednesday. So, Jonathan, you have the honour of going first and you have the Fabian Delft derby. It's Villa against Leeds. Yeah, I sort of felt that um, since Emery came in that the Villa have been doing a lot better, but they actually lost, only won three out of seven games, lost three games. 
What you would say is those defeats maybe haven't mattered that much in that one was to Manchester United in the Carabao, one was to Stevenage in the FA Cup, which I, I guess matters and it's embarrassing, but um, it's not like Villa are used to winning games in the FA Cup. Uh, and then they lost to Liverpool in the league on Boxing Day when they actually played pretty well and on another day could easily have, have won that. So Villa are are playing better than they were under Gerrard. Uh, they're now five points clear of a drop zone. They're three points clear of Leeds. Um, Leeds' form is is not great. Uh, drawn the last three uh, in all competitions. They had three straight defeats before that. Um, there's the two wins they got, the late wins, uh, you know, very chaotic, dramatic wins uh, in the games before that. But that sort of little spike of form seems to have drifted away. Um, what you would say is that they have played uh, Tottenham and, and City in that little run. Um, so I still think Villa in better form. I'm going to say that they'll win 1-0, having drawn 0-0 early in the season. Yeah, I'm going to go for 2-1 to Villa then. Uh, I'm going to go for 3-1 to Villa. 3-1 to Villa. Loving the predictions. I've had to get Tebo involved in the podcast. He was absolutely desperate to be involved. So I've had to pick him up because he keeps walking into the table. And obviously he's blind. Ben, you've got Forest against Leicester and Midlands Derby. Nottingham Forest have been defeated in nine of their 18 Premier League games this season, but have lost just one of their last five. Uh, they sit two points above the drop zone. However, after a disappointing nine-game winless run between August and October, look to a settle on assistant to help consolidate a Premier League spot. Cooper does have a number of injury issues to deal with ahead of their welcome Midlands, rival, Midlands rivals Leicester, with Jesse Lingard, Moussa Niakate and Cheku Kuyate among those ruled out for Forest. They are beaten in six of their last seven home meetings with the Foxes and won the last game between the pair at City ground, smashing Leicester 4-1. That said, Leicester were superb in the reverse fixture <clears throat> as they run out 4-0 winners at the King Power Stadium, James Madison taking centre stage in that one back in October. Brendan Rodgers will hope to have his star creator available selection here with Madison returning from the World Cup injured. Uh, he's also hopeful that Kin and Dewsbury Hall can recover from injuries sustained prior to defeat to Fulham. But Bubakari Sumare, sorry, who was forced off early in that one, they lost their costumes earlier this month, remains out. Here's part of a lengthy injury list, which includes the likes of James Justin, Johnny Evans and Ricardo Pereira. Uh, I think Forest are going to continue their good home form and I think they'll win 2-1. I'm going to go big. Forest to win 3-0. Jonathan? 1-1. Uh, 1-1. Okay, then. Jonathan, next up for you is Brighton against Liverpool. Brighton are uh, just a point behind Liverpool. They've won six of the last nine. Uh, after that, uh, I guess it was caused largely by the fixtures they had, but after that slightly um, dodgy start under De Zerbe, uh, they're playing really well now. 14 goals in the last four games. And for a team who always struggled to score goals under under Graham Potter, they they, they suddenly look incredibly potent. Probably not quite as secure at the back. Uh, Liverpool's form is 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 poor. Um, two wins in five games since the World Cup, and as I said, the, the win over Villa was was pretty fortunate. And they needed the uh, fast own goals against Leicester to win that one. Um, really poor in losing at Brentford. Uh, a lot of injuries, which is part of the problem. Luis Diaz, uh, Van Dijk. Uh, Arthur Mello, Diego Jota, Firmino, James Milner, all out. Uh, Trossard is a doubt for Brighton. Uh, it's a 3-3 draw at Anfield, uh, and I think it's going to be a draw again. I'm going to say 1-1. One, 1-1. One. One, one. I'm going to go for a fortunate 1-0 to Liverpool. Ben? I think Brighton will win this one 2-1. One. Interesting. Three different scores there. Everton against Southampton next for you. Ben, a real relegation six-pointer this one. And, of course, the Mark Hughes derby. Yeah, a 3-1 three, three defeat to Manchester United in the FA Cup on Friday extended Everton's winless run to eight games in all competitions. 
A run of one win in 10 has seen the Toffees drop into the relegation zone, albeit on goal difference alone, with the pressure really ramping up on head coach Frank Lampard. Alex Awebi was forced off early in the second half of the aforementioned FA Cup defeat at Old Trafford, and his absence is a huge blow to Lampard's side. Abdullahi Dukore should therefore join Idrissagay and Amadou Onana in the middle of the park here in the absence of Awobi, but he does have big boots to fill. Andros Townsend, James Garner, Michael Keane and Nathan Patterson are also absent. Nathan Jones hasn't had the desired impact to St Mary's following his appointment in November, so Hampton rooted to the foot of the table, three points from safety coming into this relegation six-pointer. Saints come to Saturday's game at Goodison Park mired on a six-game losing streak and Jones already under pressure to turn their fortunes around. Saints haven't won at Goodison Park in the league since 1997, a 17-game winless run, but he'll, be able to, he'll hope to end that streak without service of Tino Livramento, who is no less making good progress on recovery from a knee injury, while Armel Belakopchak, Juan Lares and Theo Walker also miss out. Uh, I think in this one, it's going to be a draw. I'm going for one all. Yeah, nonsense appointment, Nathan Jones. Jonathan? Uh, Everton to win 1 0. So I've just said it's a nonsense appointment, but I'm going to go for Southampton to win 2 1 at Everton. Goodison Park's a hostile place for those players to play at the moment, and I think the pressure is going to get to them. Jonathan, your last one is the Paul Ince Derby Wolves against West Ham. Wolves have been much improved under Julian Lopetegui. Uh, five games, 1 2, drawn 2, lost 1, and that was the game against Manchester United. Um, of those draws, one of them at, at, at Anfield um, in the FA Cup when yeah, they, they easily could have won that. Just a, a you know a, a, the VAR blind spot um, counting against them. So so they've been a lot lot better than they have been. West Ham's form is absolutely dreadful. The draw against Leeds uh, last time out uh, did at least end a run of five straight defeats in the league. Uh, but they are now down to seventeenth and just a point above Wolves in nineteenth. So were Wolves to win this, they they go above West Ham, and you sort of think things are starting to get get really critical for, for for David Moyes there now that this problem we've talked about a lot in the past of of struggling to integrate more attacking more flair more creative players West Ham won this game 2-0 early in the season but Wolves are uh, a, a completely different side now uh, West Ham also won both games 1-0 last season uh, West Ham without Skamaka Ariola and Corne doubts over Lanzini Zuma uh, and Wolves without Neto and Kladzic and a doubt over Pudence but I still think they'll win 1-0 yeah, he looks like Lopetegui. He looks like he's got Wolves cooking a little bit. I'm going to go for 2-0 to Wolves. Ben? I'm joining Jonathan. 1-0 to Wolves. 1-0 to Wolves. And you're going to finish with Brentford against Bournemouth. And I've got absolutely no one to call it that a derby. Brentford have won only four of the last 12 league matches. Though three of those have come in the last four. Uh, includes impressive wins at Manchester City and last time out against, at home against Liverpool. A six-game unbeaten run has lifted the bees into the top half of the tables. They continue to impress under Thomas Frank. He could welcome back no fewer than three players for Saturday's clash with lowly Bournemouth, including star striker Ivan Tony. Midfielder Frank Onyeka and fullback Aaron Hickey may also be fit enough to make the matchday squad, but this one comes too soon for Pontus Janssen. After their new manager bounce following Gary Neal's uh, temporary appointment back in August, Bournemouth have really struggled of late, losing seven of their last eight game, last eight league games, with the sole exception of three and a win over Everton in the final round of fixtures prior to the World Cup. The Cherries now sit just at a point above the relegation zone ahead of a testing run of fixtures. O'Neill hoped to welcome back a host of injured players before the month is out, including key pair Marcus Tavernier and Neto, but defender Nate, defender Adam Smith is suspended. Bournemouth have failed to win all but one away league match this season, and one would expect that run to continue in West, Lo- West London, where Brentford lost just the once at home in the top tier this season. Uh, I think Brentford will go on to win this one 2-0. I'm going to go 3-0 Brentford. Jonathan, you're on mute. I said 2-0 Brentford. 
2-0 to Brentford. Right, we'll look at our predictions next week. We'll look at the predictions league. I think my Forest v Leicester, that's going to be the game changer. That's going to give me some momentum. That's going to turn my prediction season round. That does us for this week's iteration of Edge of the Box. Thanks to Bet Victor for sponsoring us. Thanks to Ben and Jonathan for chatting through the games with me. And as ever, stay safe and enjoy the weekend's football.